What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod. The coronavirus is shaking the world, the president is planning a stimulus, and the markets are all over the place. We were sitting at all-time highs on February 19th. Right. We've come down 19. 12 trading days. The Saudi-Russian split. CNBC contributor Lima Croft on what's at stake in an all-out oil price war. So if we get into that type of situation where the Russians are essentially saying, we're going to target shale, we want shale to roll over first, this could be an extended downturn in 2020. 37 years of market drama experience. Aerial Investments Chairman John Rogers. We were there in 87 buying bargains during that crisis. We were there in 2008, early 2009 buying bargains. We think this is the opportunity to buy. Those stories plus what's a hoped for recovery without some alphabet soup. Is this a U recovery? Is it a lowercase fee? or an uppercase fee. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Our guest host is Joe Terranova from Virtus Investment Partners. He's also a CNBC contributor, and it's great to see you here this morning, Good to Joe. see you, Becky. First up on the pod, market turmoil. Again, today, Tuesday, U.S. stock markets are pointing to something of a rebound after a 2,000-point drop Monday, the steepest single-day decline since the 2008 financial crisis, and a historic decimation of oil prices. The Dow, S&P, and Nasdaq each fell more than 7% Monday, and the speed of the decline kicked in circuit breakers, a literal halt to the markets just as the trading began. Here's what that sounded like on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange live on CNBC. Yep, there you see uh, you see the cessation in uh, ticks okay. on I mean, the look. S&P. Yeah. means the first wow. circuit breaker whom the bell has been triggered. That was the first time since 1997 that circuit breakers kicked in in an effort to slow down some of the panicked selling. If a garden variety correction is 12 and we got, you know, a pandemic, what, what's, what's a, a decent... Uh, where 20? do you make about maybe tw- <laughs> well, we got an, That's we, got, we got an additional 18 or 19 percent yesterday. Well, uh, to- in total, uh, down, 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 down to 18 total. or 19. Yeah. You're once again, if it if it goes from here up a thousand a day, you'll once again be the call of the bottom. You will be. I'll take you'll it. be right there. I hope again. I'm the call of the bottom. I hope you are too, and I wouldn't be surprised. But it's just consensus. It's just. It's just the feeling that everyone has at the same time that you express. That's all it is. And that's many times that is the contrarian indicator. But I don't know. Do you think think we got more to go? Well, I understand the focus on the equities market. It's right. Um, Can we stay on uh, You want to go to oil? Because that's going to bounce. Treasury yields. Treasury yields. They're at zero. Treasury yields have been the leading indicator of where equities are going. I think yesterday 
We got yesterday, down to about way, 30. We, were looking at 0.4 we got down to 31 basis points yesterday. Yeah. Okay, we are now back to 72 basis points, which is yeah. exactly That's where good. we were on Friday. It's good. So that is a very positive indicator, okay. and Treasury yields have been leading the equities market in all risk assets since the middle of January. If you go back to January 14th to January 31st, while the equities market wasn't concerned about the coronavirus and potential spread to the United States, what was telegraphed at that point? Treasury yields that were melting lower, financials at that point topped out. I think that's the first place that you have to identify if you're going to see stability. And I like what I saw yesterday from yields. It's the velocity of these moves that's been so shocking to kind of watch. We were sitting at all-time highs on February 19th. We've come down 19. 12 trading days. Yeah. 12 trading days. So there's been five instances on Becky's point in terms of velocity where you've experienced during the course of one week a decline of greater than 10%. Obviously, the largest one was you were down 18% from October 6th of 08 to October 10th of 08. The other instances, obviously, are 87, 2000, and 2001. (laughs) You lost 11% in the last week of February. So the question becomes, everyone believes in a V recovery. And if you look back at all these instances... All these instances, there is a V recovery. Uh, you, have to identify, v right you have to identify, is it, a lo- is it a lowercase v or an uppercase right. v? And that's the question. So I, I, I saw some notes yesterday, at least in some industries, where people are asking, is this a U recovery for these particular right. industries where there's a big fear factor? So the U recovery really only happened after... 2000, 2001, because you had the dot-com bubble burst. Are going to start booking cruise ships again anytime soon? But you had the dot-com bubble burst, then you had the experience of 9-11, and then you had that U recovery that took multi-years to recover. 87, it took you two years to recover, and in 08, it took you five years to recover. The experience I think most people are trying to identify with right now is December of 2018. That took you five months to recover. So markets are moving much faster. I think we're getting acclimated to a different type of marketplace. And let's understand, this is biological in nature. But let me ask you We've never experienced that before. Let me ask you the question that we were asking yesterday that I still just don't know the answer to, which is, what do you think the markets think in terms of the duration and extent and scale of the problem here in terms not necessarily of the health scare unto itself, which is real, mm-hmm. but the fear factor and how many people are not going to either be going to work, be going to restaurants, getting on the plane, and getting Andrew, on the you know plane. markets discount things. And the, no, I know they discount The thing that you're saying here is this, what we've been talking about for three weeks no, happening. No, but we haven't. But, we, but, but I would argue that up until the past week, there was a view that somehow it was not going to come here in some meaningful way. We'll see an escalation in the number of cases that are reported here in the United States. We'll right. see an escalation, uh-huh. and the market work. will desensitize to that. Okay. But I think for the investor at home, there's an interesting perspective here of how you have to treat this. Because it is happening so fast, you have to have the Warren Buffett mentality and treat all of this as a passive investment. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you're invested in private equity right now, Are you seeing it? Is it visible to you what's going on in your investments? It's not. If I said to you, Andrew, your house is going to decline 10% over the next week, and then in the following three months, it could go down another 10%. Are you going to say, Joe, I'm going to sell my house? So I think the investor at home has to understand this and treat it passively. And I think we're becoming more financially literate that we're getting to that place. The markets get emotional and we get emotional. What's our total number of cases? 
Everybody that walked by me, I think, has got the freaking thing now. I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't want anyone coming. I, you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. There's 500 out of you how have many? adopted all of my freakish sort the, of the, the hand economy. washing and pureling. Have you seen video of the of the toilet paper? What's with the toilet paper? Because um, think of things you run out of. That's well, not I know, a, but why? Like to be up there. You know, I can think of other things that you know, I'll make do with. That, but you know, food, water, <laughs> some you know, toilet paper. That's the. Because there were shortages in Japan because we've watched it play out in this instance. All right. I'll figure something out. President Trump now says he's going to be meeting with Senate and House Republicans today, the ones that aren't self-quarantined, to discuss a possible tax relief measure in response uh, to the coronavirus. We're seeing the Senate. We're going to be meeting with uh, House Republicans, Mitch McConnell, everybody, and discussing a possible payroll tax uh, cut or relief, substantial relief, very substantial relief. That's a big, that's a big number. Uh, we're also going to be talking about hourly wage earners getting uh, help so that they can uh, be in a position where they're not going to ever miss a paycheck. Wall Street Journal uh, reports that Peter Navarro and Jared Kushner are pushing for a payroll tax cut now, while Larry Kudlow and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin are calling for targeted measures uh, aimed at helping workers without sick leave and businesses facing virus-related uh, uh, disruptions. I'm in the latter camp. I mean, payroll tax cut doesn't help anybody who is not getting paid because they're staying home or right. because they're suddenly their tips have disappeared or anything else. Right. That's why Furman, they, Jason Furman, making that case yesterday. They tried. They did this back. Right. Uh, when, when he was advising President Obama, and he, he wished it had done you, more. Ultimately, maybe all of these things. I mean, I still think that we're going to have a conversation about bailouts of industries that hasn't even begun yet. But I think you're going to hear these companies. I would like to see targeted, targeted actions come, that really come to help Washington to lobby for all sorts of things. I, I agree with Becky. I think specifically talking about hourly wage earners and supporting them—that is, that's priority number one. Well, and, and, and just be. the common sense of look, we should make sure that people aren't incentivized to still go to work if they're if they're sick. We, we should make sure that people are getting sick leave for them. As President Trump said yesterday, for things that's not their fault. Yeah. We want them for the public good to stay home and not risk infecting more people. We shouldn't do that to mean that they go without pay for that. And, and, and I think the president's uh, economic team should walk in with a chart of the Dow Jones transports. And there's the reason why you have to support uh, the travel industry. Um, obviously, the market is, a, is telling you a story there that's, that's a, a particularly ominous one. I also think there are other measures that they need to enact here to make sure that investors are not discouraged to investing. You actually want to encourage, at this point, investing in the stock market. You could take the 401k annual limit. You could raise that to $25,000. You could take the capital loss uh, on an annualized basis that's been $3,000 for a capital loss since the last 40 years. You could raise that to 25000 You could take SALT limits, which are 10000 You could raise those to twenty five. So I think there are unique things that you could do, specifically, to your point, targeted to let's encourage investment in the market. Out of salt limits. I mean, it would help a lot of people on the coast where you've seen potentially some of these things, but I, I don't think that's targeted enough, raising the salt limits on things. And also, if you take all these moves that look like you're only helping the stock market. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that, listen, helping the stock, the stock market, encouraging um, assets, 
and investment into assets has been part of the story for the last 10 years. Right. It may also it's be part the wealth of the reason. That, but you're also seeing the inequality effect that has come in as part of that, too. I would say that the moves we took during the financial crisis led us to the point where you had many people feeling like they were not part of the part of the system that was getting. Andrew, so uh, I, I think Bernie Sanders, I, I think if you look at some of those things, right. you look right. back at this I'm with Becky on this one, I have to say, okay. only because I don't think it's politically palatable to be helping investors at this particular <laughs> moment. Italy has expanded travel restrictions to the entire country at this point in an effort to try and control the spread of coronavirus. Let's go live to Rome. NBC's Claudio Lavenga is uh, standing by and joins us right now. And Claudio, what, what can you tell us about the difference between today and yesterday? Well, there's a massive difference, of course, because last night and until last night, the only section of Italy that had these massive restrictions of movement restrictions was the north. While last night, the prime minister, during a dramatic press conference, said that those restrictions will be applied to the whole of the country, including, of course, Rome. What What does that mean? Well, the prime minister is telling all Italians, all 60 million of them, not to get out of their houses unless they have a real emergency, either for work or a medical emergency. And they even have to prove that in case somebody stops them if they are moving around, even in their own city, by having a self-certification form that says who they are, where they're coming from, where they're going, and why. The fine, if you break the rules, is $250 or even three months in prison. But that, uh, during that press conference, the uh, prime minister said that, uh, that these are desperate uh, times, uh, that the future of the country depends on Italians and their sense of responsibility. And at least until now, it looks like that they did listen. Because I'm standing here at the Colosseum, usually one of the most crowded places, uh, not only in Rome, but I mean, the whole of Italy. And it is fairly, fairly quiet, fairly empty, mostly tourists are here. So there is a big difference. The Italians are trying put this, they're, they're, they're staying put, they're staying at home unle- unless it's truly really necessary for them to get out. Claudia, thank you very much. The presidential campaign season continues. There's some new analysis this morning of Joe Biden's tax plan and who would fit the bill. Robert Frank joins us right now. He has more of the details. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Becky. Well, Biden's plan would raise taxes by $4 trillion over a decade, with most of that paid by high earners and companies. That's according to a new study from the Tax Policy Center. Now, Biden would hike tax revenues by 8% in total. Every income group would see a tax increase. The middle class would see an increase of about 0.4%. But the top, they would see by far the biggest hike. The one percenters would see an average tax increase of about $300,000 a year. And their tax rate would jump by 12% to 42%. Now, the top 0.1%, those are the people making more than $3.6 million a year, they would see their tax rate jump by 16% to 47%. And nearly three-quarters of the increase in taxes under his whole plan would be paid by the top one percenters. And the bottom 90 percent of Americans there would bear less than 7 percent of the total cost. Now, Biden's plan calls for rolling back the Trump tax cuts, bringing the corporate rate up to 28 percent from the current 21 percent. And he would tax capital gains the same as ordinary income for those who make more than $1 million a year. That means the capital gains tax, which is the most important for investors, would go from 20 percent to 39.6 percent. And he would apply the payroll tax to income over $400,000. Now, his plan is less than a quarter of the cost of Bernie Sanders' plan. Sanders' plan would total more than $17 trillion over a decade. Guys, back to you. Yeah, um, watching a lot of the predicted stuff. Uh, What's it Robert. say this morning, Joe? This morning, Trump 
uh, re-election is at about 50 or 51 cents, and Biden is about 48 cents. That's that's pretty close. The uh, generic, even though we probably and where know. where is who, Sanders now? Sanders is, is so down. I mean, it, for Michigan, they're like, he's talking about maybe winning Michigan. 92 cents uh, for Biden in, in, in Michigan, which is today. And I think he's single digits for the nomination at this point. But for generic 2020, who wins, Republican or Democrat, that moved, that flipped yesterday to 53 cents Democrat, uh, 48 or 49 Republican. Now it's back 51.50, something like that. So it's all coronavirus. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And you uh, wonder how that's going to shape the primaries and the election. And, you know, the tax thing is if you start to have a true economic slowdown, you're going to see a decrease in tax revenues at the state and federal level. And what will that do to how they're going to make that up? Are they going to raise taxes? I've, I've seen certain it? pundits call it, the, you know, on the left, they're trying to call it the Trump virus. And it's just, this is Katrina, things like that. So it's I mean, they're, they're working overtime on on, you know, trying to, to work it. Right. OK. Robert Frank, thank you. This one baffles all of us. It's inexplicable. Investment platform Robinhood suffering its third outage in eight days during yesterday's market turmoil, angering investors who couldn't trade during a wild day in the markets. The platform was down shortly after the opening bell and was partially restored by 10.30 a.m. And then, though, at around 3.30 p.m., we had problems all over again. This is one of the sort of more baffling things that's happened in the marketplace, especially during these historically volatile times. You have young people who have used this to get into the market. We all thought this was a great thing because it was bringing young people into you know, retail investors into the game. Until it now burns they can't, them repeatedly. And now they, can't, now they can't trade. And I'm worried that it's going to push that whole group out of the market. There's going to be lawsuits left and right, obviously. Although, although lawsuits, look, lawsuits are the key. They're going to get pushed out of the market to somewhere else. But what's so interesting free is are now everywhere. it's so this business, though, this business that went was made what everybody created, else free trades. Pr- caused free trades everywhere right. else, and this business couldn't do it. Right. Okay. But that's a great environment for investors in. If they're not able to execute on their business model, then they're going to face the challenge of significant lawsuits, and their customers are going to find a home, to Becky's point, somewhere else where they're going to go for zero cost. They're going to be a TD. They'll be at E-Trade. They'll be at, well, now they'll be <laughs> together with Morgan Stanley and every place else. And they'll be welcomed with wide open arms. Cheese right. okay. will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, a Saudi-Russian oil price war. Saudi Arabia has pledged to hike its crude production to capacity. CNBC contributor Halima Croft. Saudi Arabia is a central banker of oil. If Saudi Arabia were to push their production to that level, we'd be out of reserve. We'll be right back. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan in studio. Joe Terranova. Crude oil plunging 24 percent yesterday in a single day. It was the worst single day since the Gulf War started coming in the wake of Saudi Arabia's split with Russia. Joining us right now, fresh off a trip to Riyadh, is Halima Kraft, RBC's head of global commodity strategy and Middle East and North Africa research. 
And Halima, uh, the market's rebounding a bit today, but what's happening with this rift between Russia and Saudi Arabia? And should we anticipate that there would be uh, any coming together anytime soon? I mean, the Saudis have made it abundantly clear that unless Russia returns to the OPEC bargaining table, they are going to take production up to potentially new highs. They were out today indicating that they would take production to 12, basically 12.3 million barrels a day. That would be a record high for Saudi Arabia. So this is a situation right now where it's really, I think, in Russia's court to see whether they will come back to the table. There were reports on the CNBC website today that the Russian oil minister will be meeting with the company's country's corporate leaders to see if the Russians can put something on the table. But that's where we stand right now. I think it's really a question of what will Russia do. If Saudi Arabia goes ahead with this and Russia does not come up with some sort of a a deal that they can put things back together, was yesterday's sell-off overdone? Well, I think if the Saudis are intent on really ramping up production, I think we will be in a situation where oil potentially could fall to the 20s. I mean, there are individuals in Russia, most notably the head of the Russian oil company, Rosnet, who signaled that he would want to take its production up further as well. So we could be in a situation where Saudi ramps up production and the Russians raise production. So in that type of situation, when there is so much concern about demand, I mean, this would be a really negative impact on oil prices. Again, I think we'd be talking about oil in the 20s in such a scenario. So yesterday was not an oversell-off. If that's the case, is today an over-bounce back where you're already looking at uh, oil up by better than 10%? I think right now people are hoping that cooler heads will prevail. I think, though, if we do get clear signals that the Saudi statements are going to be masked by barrels, then I think the market will really start to be very concerned about having an oversupply situation while demand is this fragile. We have not had a situation before when we've been in a demand crash where the producers have put millions of additional barrels on the market. This would be an almost unprecedented situation. How long could Saudi Arabia and Russia each carry out that strategy? Well, this is a question about, you know, how deep are their reserves? I mean, both countries have saw their, particularly Saudi Arabia, saw their reserves fall after 2014. They will be under economic stress carrying this policy forward. Russians say they have more bandwidth to do so. They say they're not as dependent on oil as Saudi Arabia. They say they need a lower oil price to balance their budget. But this will be a test of both countries' economic strength. I do think, again, I think the Saudis are looking to try to get the Russians back to the table. This is not a 2014 situation. They are not looking to flood the market almost indefinitely to break shale. They're trying to get back to the table. But the Russians, on the other hand, there are signals, again, if you look at that CEO of Rosnet, Igor Sechin, that he is looking to take out U.S. shale production. He wants the U.S. shale producers to balance this market. So if we get into that type of situation where the Russians are essentially saying, we're going to target shale, we want shale to roll over first, this could be an extended downturn in 2020. Halima, just a couple of hours ago, Saudi Aramco said that it's going to be increasing its oil output to 12.3 million barrels a day starting in April. Is that just a negotiating tactic? I mean, when I was in the kingdom, I was really struck by the sort of they're grimly determined to see this through. There's no joy about this policy, but they indicated that they will be ramping up production potentially to their maximum levels. Again, we've never seen Saudi Arabia produce at these levels. The recent high was in 2018 when they produced just over 11 million barrels a day. If they did 12.3, 
that would be almost that would be unprecedented in terms of Saudi production. And it would leave us with almost no spare capacity in terms of producer states. Saudi Arabia is a central banker of oil. Almost every country produces their maximum levels. Saudi Arabia is really the country that sits on the reserves in the market. So if Saudi Arabia were to push their production to that level, we'd be out of reserve. Halima, thank you. Good talking to you. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, Ariel Investments' John Rogers. Well, this is unprecedented, crazy, crazy times. There's so much volatility, so much fear. It makes you feel like you're getting toward a bottom. Seasoned and unafraid of volatility, a long-term investor's guide to this week's market drama. We'll be right back. We could try to explain what it's like to get your work done on a John Deere mower, compact tractor, or Gator XUV. But to really understand the feeling, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. John Rogers began his investing career at 12 years old. He started with stocks in his Christmas stocking. 13 years later, at 25, he started Ariel. Over the next 30 years, John built that flagship mutual fund into the $13 billion firm we know today, Ariel Investments. Ariel Fund, that first investing vehicle, is still around today. It's held the number one track record among its peers since the market bottom after the financial crisis. It's probably no surprise that John Rogers' reputation on Wall Street is an impressive one. He's been highlighted alongside legendary investors like Warren Buffett and Sir John Templeton, both of whom inform Rogers' own investing strategy. He's a long-term contrarian investor, and he, quote, believes in being greedy when others are fearful. Seems like a pretty good time for that philosophy. Here's Andrew kicking off Squawk's conversation with Ariel Investments Chairman, Co-CEO, and Chief Investment Officer, John Rogers. Do you think a bottom is in place? Well, you never know. This is unprecedented, crazy, crazy times. But it does feel like there's been some type of capitulation. There's so much volatility, so much fear. It makes you feel like you're getting toward a bottom. And what have you been doing about it over these past couple of days? And what do you plan to do about it today? Well, we've been talking to all of our management teams on the phones, CEOs, trying to get as many uh, company visits as possible. And we want to take advantage of the volatility. So have you been buying? Have you been legging in the entire past week and a half? We have been. I wish we could say we just started yesterday, but we've been doing it for several weeks now as the market gets cheaper and cheaper. We're finding more and more unprecedented bargains. And what do you think? I mean, we've been talking about it all, all morning. What do you think is baked into the market in terms of where we are right now, in terms of what may or may not happen going forward with the virus, that is? I think as this weekend unfolded and we got into this week, I think people really are seeing uh, all the bad news. I think it's pretty well incorporated. People are all extrapolating this and seeing it getting to be like Italy. People are talking about cutting, you know, all the things that could go wrong here. Talking and you about- think that's all in? That's all in. 
I think it's all in. I really, really do. And there's some great, you know, great opportunities out there. John, it's interesting because you disagree with Andrew. That's, uh, no, no, anyway. yeah. can I, can I, you say that you see bargains. Amazing. Uh, where are the areas that you think, uh, sectors or individual stocks that you think are really oversold at this level? We have two sectors that we've been sort of focused in on these days. One's the financial services. Mm-hmm. Our largest position is KKR. We think that private equity is an extraordinary place to be. More and more people, uh, you know, more and more investment committees are allocating money to private equity. They have lots of pools of cash, and they're in a position to take advantage of these bargains because there's so much cash in the private oh, equity world. That's been kind of waiting because prices have been so high. So this right. is a time to deploy. Exactly. I think this is kind of something that's going to be very helpful for them. Uh, I also strongly, strongly believe that Northern Trust, you know, this, the old gray lady of Chicago, it's a real anchor institution. It's selling at 10 times earnings. Kind of unprecedented cheapness for the kind of brand and strength that Northern Trust represents. Yeah, where we yeah, pri- well, private equity has almost become like hedge funds of, of 10 to 15 years ago. And I think there's, there's some excitement if you're going to reprice them at a lower va- uh, level. But, but, John, let me ask you about the strategy of passive investing and the environment we're in now. Do, do you think that passive investing strategy is kind of contributing to an acceleration in the volatility and the leverage liquidation that we're seeing? And do you see a return to more active management strategies? Well, I, I do believe that the passive management uh, phenomenon is exacerbating what's happened in the markets. And the active e- the ETF markets have become so prominent and the volatility just increases with the kind of uh, regular trading that happens within the, act- within the passive area. We do believe strongly that active management will be making a comeback. There's us old dinosaurs will have our day in the sun. <laughs> and uh, there's real opportunities when the markets are trading for reasons that are not fundamental. Their stocks are trading because they're part of an index. If they're getting thrown away at bargain prices, it gives you an opportunity to be selective and find some great businesses that the indexes are getting rid of. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, now I'm going to go back. I'm going I'm to argue your side for a second because we're going to have Alarian on later yep. today. And he said 20 to 30 percent was definitely possible. There are other people that given the move that we've seen in recent years from 17, 16, 17, 18,000, all the way up to 30,000, some of them for a while have been saying this thing needs a 40% correction to get back to where long-term you get down to a single-digit multiple on some of these stocks. That's what we've seen in 74 and some of these bear markets. I just wonder if, if with professionals like you, John, whether there is a complacency that we assume 20% is going to be it, and it could be 30 or 35%, given that this is so different than anything we've, we've faced before. How was that, Andrew? Now you're, now you're, now you're I, I'm really, just I'm saying. To my side. I've only, <laughs> the issue I've been raising all, all day and for the past couple of weeks is this idea that you could have a 10% correction on where the market was before, so here's what I think. and then you add in Corona. No, but I think the reason you get a 20% sharp sell is right. because the worst-case scenario, in, in people's traders' minds, they've already got that. But then again, technically, but I, I think that we haven't had a true washout. Like look, I don't think Look, I don't think, you tell me, I don't think a lockdown of London, New York, L.A., and Chicago, and Atlanta, and I don't think that's baked into the cards. That is not. No. But I think there's so many cheap sectors and cheap, Stocks. See, now he look, sounds again like a complacent uh, but if you professional look, money manager. That scares me. The media me. industry right now, yeah. uh, CBS Viacom, selling at four times, three times earnings. They're going to sell $3 billion worth of assets. They've got such extraordinary content. It doesn't make sense at three to four times earnings. Meredith, you know, local television broadcaster and owner of People magazine, it's not only three and four times earnings, but it's got a 10% yield. 
in an environment where we have less than 1% on our treasury bills. So I just think this is a, these stocks are really treat and already baked in a lot, a lot of bad news. So, uh, John, let me ask it this way. December of 18, six months basically to recover, uh, 87, two years to recover, 08, five years to recover. What type of recovery time period do you think we're challenged by? I think it's more of a six-month period. As you know, Ariel is 37 years old. We've been to this movie before. We were there in 87 buying bargains during that crisis. We were there in 2008, early 2009, buying bargains. That's why we've been actually number one in our category since the March of 2009. So we think this is the opportunity to buy, and we think that you know it can last six months. You never know exactly how long. But as we always remember, you know, last century started at 66, ended at over 11,000. Warren Buffett always talks about that. And remember last century, we had the Spanish flu. Uh, we had pandemics. We had two world wars, Great Depression, and the markets bounced John, back. John, did, did you have a lot of cash you'd kind of been hoarding up to this point? Where, what money are you putting to work? Well, we've done both. Some of our products have more cash than others. Our small cap product, we had a significant amount of cash, and so we've been able to put that right to work. What is that, 10% or something? What's the More than 6 to 7% okay. roughly. But then also we've been fortunate. There's been some takeovers here. Um, we own a lot of Tegna. So now we've been able to scale out of that a little bit as the uh, stock's risen recently because of the takeover. We think there'll be more media uh, consolidation happening, and that helps you generate cash for new bargains. And then, of course, you sell your most expensive stocks to buy these really, really cheap ones. What else are you selling? Oh, well, we're not going to talk about specific, <laughs> yeah, trying, specific trying. sales. <laughs> Let me push you on a different issue, which is uh, last time you were here, you were a Bloomberg man. Uh, there was a report out yesterday that you have swung behind Biden, which maybe is not unexpected. But is that right? Well, yes. As you know, I was a true believer in what President Obama believed in and, and thought that he put together an extraordinary team. So uh, Vice President Biden was a part of that team. And so I'm supportive and uh, feel bad that you know, Mike Bloomberg couldn't make it to the finish line. But we really think it's time for change. John, you had that wacky prediction that Pence was going to be president. I know you remember that. You said that, the, that Trump's hiding so much that there's got to be something there. So by 2020, Pence will be uh, president. But that made you worry that he'd be a much more viable candidate than if the president were trying to get reelected. So now you must be happy since it looks like it's going to be Trump. So he'll be easier. You said he'd be much easier to beat than Pence. I still believe that's the okay. case. Okay. But Pen what was the whole Pence thing? That, that you just took a shot that something that might be right? Well, well, we were saying we have to prepare for all eventual. No, no, you said that's going to happen, and we got ideas. We, we, Let me ask you a different question. Yeah. How much do you think that this whole episode, both between the markets and what's happening with coronavirus yeah. more broadly, is going to have a, a demonstrable impact on come November? I think. G given, said, given that you think a bottom is in, right. it sounds like, right. and that this may or may not be behind us, but is looking more rearview mirror-ish than a forward mirror, does it actually impact the election? Well, as I said, six months is kind of my time frame. So as we get toward November, I think this will be kind of ancient history. We'll be on to some other issues in our country at that point. So you don't think that Biden will be able to take advantage of this to the extent that he's going to be able to argue that somehow this was mismanaged one way or the other? Well, it'll be a part of a mosaic of, you know, many things that have been mismanaged and so many things that have so many people that have come and gone in so many different leadership roles. He'll be able to create a narrative there. But I think this virus challenge I mean, John, by November. John, the president had a story to tell about the stock market and about, I mean, even on Friday, we got the latest example of, of the economy with that great jobs number and unemployment at three and a half percent and wage gain. Until this came along, 
It knocked the stock market down, you know, almost 20 percent. Uh, we'll see what happens with the job numbers. But the mosaic you're talking about got a lot better for, for your side in the last month. There's no denying that, right? Uh, we're That's why you made, maybe you should. The numbers are I, I, good. Hearing you say a bottoms and made me rethink everything uh, with Andrew. That's that scares me when I think too many people think think a bottom is in Anytime I, I I'm supposedly consensus. So you got to go to the opposite. Yes. yes. Seinfeld the opposite day. He did. Um, thank you for being here. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Live uh, for now from the NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square. <laughs> Start doing this taped from home. And if you've listened this far, I hope you subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating or a review with your thoughts. That helps other listeners find us. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.